Hello everyone, I'm your host Patrick, and welcome back to another episode of Not Adding Up. I have another very special co-host returning this week, and that would be my father, Tom, coming back for another episode. Hello, everyone. Glad to be back. You got a lot of compliments on our first episode. Like, a lot of people reached out to me for hours, and, like, Mom and my first episode is, like, my most popular one, so people must like it. When the rents come on the show... If I sound a little congested, it is because it is like 70 degrees today, and it was 50 yesterday and like 30 the day before, so my allergies are not keeping up with the weather. Before I get into today's case, I have a little business. I have some exciting news. I am currently working with Mary Ann from Crime Scene and Cupcakes on a very special collab episode. The Garden City Police Department in Kansas reached out to Mary Ann to ask her for help in spreading the word about a cold case. This is because Mary Ann is a badass. Like, seriously, the more I learn about this woman, the more I love her. And if you haven't, go check out her show, Crime Scene and Cupcakes. I am so honored that Mary Ann asked for my help in creating this episode, and with her extensive law enforcement experience and my extreme cynicism, I think that we will surely put together a great episode about a case I am willing to put my money on that you have heard nothing about. Mary Ann, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to participate in something so important. And Garden City Police Department, I think it is very honorable that you have reached out to true crime social media platforms like Crime Scene and Cupcakes and have allowed me to take place in raising awareness in an underreported case. I hope you can be an example to police departments all across the country that exploring new resources can be something that is helpful to an investigation. So stay tuned for that very special episode. This week's case, however, Natalie Holloway, Stephanie Flores Ramirez, and Joran Vandersloot's unfortunate encounters. It's a mouthful. Natalie Holloway graduated from Mountain Brook High School, located in Alabama, on May 24, 2005. Natalie was both an excellent student and involved with extracurriculars, a member of the National Honor Society, the school dance team, and the American Field Service, which helped exchange students adapt to life in the U.S. Her academic achievements did not go unrewarded as she received a full ride to the University of Alabama. Natalie's future was bright as day. However, less than a week after graduating, Natalie vanished from outside a bar to never be seen again. On May 26, 2005, Natalie would arrive in Aruba with over 120 of her classmates. They were there to celebrate their graduation, and there were seven chaperones that that were accompanying them on the trip. These chaperones were not meant to keep a constant watch over the graduates, but just to check in with them each day to make sure everyone was okay. The group would engage in some crazy partying, not uncommon during senior week. 
Natalie was supposedly partaking rather heavily in the festivities. She would apparently wake up and immediately make a cocktail. This is not uncommon at all. I'm pretty sure the University of Alabama is a pretty large party school, but I'm not sure if I'm just making this connection because I live on a party school's campus, essentially, but this is exactly what I saw going on during the senior week that my high school took. They most certainly did not go to Aruba. <laughs> we ain't got the money for that. But I do know that they were drinking all the time and the Snapchats were crazy. So it is also worth noting that I know plenty of people who are crazy party animals and still find a way to balance work and school with their partying. This is not the case for everyone, obviously, but it really isn't as common as you would, as uncommon as you would think. My ass just has anxiety and have never been a big partier or going out to two bars and clubs has never really been my cup of tea once in a blue moon but not my thing but there are i've met plenty of people who can do it i don't know how so this is just a long way of saying that just because natalie was having a good time on her senior trip doesn't not make her any less of an amazing student she clearly had great potential it does seem like she kept her nightlife a pretty good secret from her family because there is a quote from her uncle and it said, Natalie is naive, she hasn't dated a lot, and she doesn't party a lot. Which, I know that most high schoolers can be pretty good at keeping what they do from their parents. I wouldn't know that from experience or anything, but... On May 30th, the trip would come to an end and the group of students would prepare for departure except something, or rather someone, was missing. Natalie's luggage was packed in her room along with her passport, but she was nowhere to be found. It was determined that Natalie was last seen the previous evening around 1.30 a.m., leaving a bar slash nightclub. This bar slash nightclub was Carlos and Charlie's. Sound familiar? Which I don't think you've listened to my episode with Mom from last week. No, not yet. So in last week's episode, a woman went missing from a cruise, and during the cruise, there were cruise workers who were asking for this woman's name and wanted to take her to a restaurant in Aruba, and that restaurant was Carlos and Charlie's. So a very creepy connection. Uh, not not a coincidence. I, I think that, I think it is a coincidence. I don't think there's any, like, I don't know. Don't believe it. Don't believe in coincidences. Mm-mm. So yes, this is the very same bar that the workers on the cruise ship in last week's case wanted to take Amy Lynn Bradley out to dinner, all the way back in 1998. Natalie was last seen leaving this bar with a 17-year-old Dutch honors student, Joran Vandersloot, and his two friends, who were brothers, the Kalpo brothers, K-A-L-P-O-E, Kalpo, Kalpo, I'm like, they... I don't see them as very important in this case. So, we're going to go capo. <laughs> they were 18 and 21. Joran had met Natalie just the previous evening at the hotel's casino. She was staying at a Holiday Inn. While Natalie's last steps were beginning to be retraced, her mother, Beth, and her father, Dave, who were divorced, rented a private jet and flew to Aruba immediately after getting the news that Natalie didn't show up to departure. Beth recalls getting the news, and she said, I knew instantly when I received that call that just from Natalie's history and character, 
and just her record. I knew instantly she'd either been kidnapped or murdered. There was no hesitation. Absolutely none. Absolutely none. So she she didn't keep everything from her parents? What do you mean? She says kidnapped or murdered. Does she know a little about her, her <coughs> after-school activities? I don't think so. I don't know. I think that she did keep most things from her parents. I think she did a good job of it. The family is so quick to action that the same day that Natalie was reported to them missing, they were at Jordan Vandersloot's home, and they were ready to question him. That same day, they were like, his home in Aruba. Well, no, yeah, yeah, in Aruba. He tells them that he left the bar with her and the Capo brothers and drove to a lighthouse, and then he took her back to the Holiday Inn. He even tells them that he will go back to the hotel with them and point out the security guard that helped her inside. However, he was unable to locate him when they went back. As we will get into, there are going to be numerous different stories about Joran and Natalie's night. In one of them, he said Natalie stumbled out of the car and fell but refused any help. The Aruban government gave thousands of civil servants the day off to help with search efforts, which I think is pretty cool. There were 50 Dutch Marines, three Dutch fighter jets specially fitted with infrared devices to scan the land, and hundreds of volunteers. Nothing was found. The investigation would spend over $3 million trying to find Natalie's body, something that has been fruitless to this day. Police make their first arrests in the case on June 5th. This was two security guards working at the Holiday Inn, but they were only kept for eight days as they could find nothing to hold them. Were either one of them the guy that... Uh... Joran van der Sloot? No. Okay. He was arrested, and so were the Kyle Poe brothers, on June 9th. Joran is sticking by his story that he dropped her off, but there is no CCTV of him doing so. However, it is unclear if the CCTV cameras were operating that night. It is alternated that she could have entered through other areas, not just the lobby, which seems like the area with the cameras. In another version of the story, he would tell police that he left Natalie at the beach after she asked him to do so. So, took her, took her home, left her at the beach. Mm-hmm. Two stories. And if he left her off at the hotel, I don't know, I've never been to Aruba, but getting into a hotel on a the other door where you have to unlock it because they, they lock them at a certain point. I don't know if they do in Aruba. The front door is the easiest way because then you have to get your key. And if she had been imbibing a little bit, that would have been really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to coordinate all that. So, so you're saying they locked the entrances that aren't the main entrance? Aren't main, and they'll, they'll lock the main entrance after a certain period of time, but there's really? somebody sitting at the desk and they see you at the door. Really? You've been to hotels that have done that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can get in with your key. I've never... I mean, I've, I've only checked into a few hotels super late, but, like, I've been to a hotel at, like, four in the morning, and it was just open. Sometimes. But it was, like, a holiday. It was, it was like, a motel six or something like that. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes they'll do that. Like I said, they can see you, and they'll let you in, or you can get in with your key. But the other door is definitely key only. By July 4th, the brothers were released, and by September, Joran was released on the condition that he had to remain available to police. So at this point, the case goes kind of cold for a little while. They would remain out of jail for a little over a year, the three of them, 
until November of 2007, they were arrested again. I think the, I think Jorin got in trouble, but the Kalpo brothers were brought back in, but they were released again by December. So there was just like, they brought them in, couldn't bring, couldn't keep them. They can't keep them if they don't have enough evidence. So you can only keep them well, you know, it's you keep them like 48 hours. Clearly a little different in Aruba. So by February of 2008, Jorin is the main person of interest and authorities were working with a convicted drug dealer turned reporter. <laughs> yeah, like one article referred to him as a convicted drug dealer in that alone, and then the other articles referred to him as a reporter. But the fact that he was a convicted drug dealer is important because we'll get into it. But they got some pretty interesting information from Joran, Joran, while he was reporting, while he was talking to the reporter who was wearing a wire. He told the man that Natalie and him were having sex on the beach while she began to have a seizure and lost and lost consciousness. He said he tried to revive her but eventually had a friend dispose of her in the ocean. Quote, he went out to sea and threw her out like an old rag. End quote. Of course, when confronted with this confession, he recanted it and said that he was lying to impress the former drug dealer. Over the years, Joran would tell numerous versions of the story, so much so that he has certainly proved himself a pathological liar, something that grew apparent to his family prior to this. At one point, he even admitted to selling Natalie into sex slavery. There doesn't seem to be much evidence to back this but like last episode we had a lot of evidence to back that theory for Amy Lynn Bradley but he just kind of spat that out there at one point. With all of these suspicions and literal confessions from Joran, there was still nothing that could be done to keep him behind bars. That is until May 30th of 2010, exactly five years after Natalie disappeared. Before we get into this evening, let's rewind just a little. In March of 2010, Beth Holloway was contacted by Joran's attorney asking for $25,000 in exchange for information on where Natalie was, could be found. One article said this was the first installment in a $250,000 payment, however that would be for her safe return. The $25,000 was mentioned in many articles, but the 250,000 was only mentioned in one. Attorney says, I can bring her back to you for 25 grand? Is that what They were offering that. They were offering 25 grand for her re Safe return. to return her. Okay. Regardless, the $25,000 was given to Joran in two installments. However, the information proved to be fraudulent. This was not a concern of his, however. He was busy planning a trip to a poker tournament in Peru with his new spending money. Did you have, did you, were you able to get much background on this guy prior to him meeting, you know, him He was an honor student and a tennis player, and he was like, seemed to be pretty good in school, but he was a liar, and it seemed to be an issue, like pathological liar, was lying and like sneaking out to casinos at a young age. So, like, the lying seems to be the biggest deal. But his family insists that he's, like, not an evil person. But is he a really, really smart person? It seems... Uh, he was an honor student, but what we're about to get into, it seems like he's not very fucking smart. Okay. While at this poker tournament, Joran would meet Stephanie Flores Ramirez, a local poker lover who was also at the tournament. 
Stephanie had won $10,000 a few nights before meeting Jordan, and that evening she had told her father that she would not be participating in the tournament and she would be home after it ended. This is not what happened. She would play poker with Joran for a while and then was invited back to his hotel room. They would be caught on CCTV entering the room at 5.16am and Joran would leave soon after and then he returned with two cups of coffee and some bread. Three hours and 20 minutes later, he left again, this time with his backpack. He informed the hotel staff that they didn't need to clean the room and he didn't want his girlfriend disrupted. So, this kind of leaves Stephanie in his room. She's not coming out. For three plus hours. And she and said that she was going to be home. Stephanie's father was nothing short of a local celebrity. A retired race car driver and former presidential candidate, Ricardo Flores, was well-known and well-liked. Stephanie was one of five siblings, all brothers, and her family reportedly treated her like a queen. After trying to get a hold of her, they would go to the police, who went to the hotel to check on the CCTV and room records. Sure enough, Joran used his real name to book this room, and police were not unfamiliar with him. When the staff informed her family of his name, the entire situation changed drastically. After a quick Google, they realized exactly who he was, the prime suspect in Natalie Holloway's disappearance. A quote from her brother. At first it was a relief because I saw her and that gave me hope. The people at the hotel told us, yeah, he was this guy, seemed kind of nice, and looked like Brad Pitt. And then he, another quote is, I couldn't believe it. How could it be that guy? Referring to Jordan. Her family had been keeping up to date with Natalie's case. An hour after they realized who Jordan was, they received the news that Stephanie's body had been discovered. In the hotel room? Correct trigger warning. Stephanie had been badly beaten. A tennis racket was retrieved from the room and it is assumed to have been used as a weapon. Her neck was broken and she had blood coming from the left side of her head, her ear, and her nose. There was blunt force trauma to the back of her head and her lower neck. The force trauma caused hemorrhaging and this was the cause of death. Hemorrhaging in the brain, but can you hemorrhage in the that? Can you hemorrhage in your eyes? All hemorrhage is bleeding. Oh. Oh. If you're hemorrhage, that's just bleeding. Bleeding in the brain is obviously bad because it puts pressure on the brain, but that's hemorrhage is just bleeding. Is it just commonly used to refer to bleeding in the brain? Because I'm like, I feel like you don't call yeah. it hemorrhaging unless it's. Oh, yeah. Well, they, most of the time you'll hear it as a stroke, but a stroke mm-hmm. is the hemorrhage. Blood vessels break in the brain, blood goes all over the place, it swells up. While these terrible discoveries were being made, Jorn was trying to escape to Chile. Keyword here, trying. Did they, oh, are you going to get to, did they ever establish time of death? No. I had to dig, like, Stephanie is so overshadowed by Natalie. And maybe that's just because, like, I'm Googling from Google and, like, mainly American articles are coming up. But there was an article, like, from Curacao. Like, I don't think, there was only one article I could find from anywhere about Stephanie. Like, without, like, in detail that I could find out her actual story story beyond her being a piece in Natalie Holloway's story. 
to the point where literally like when you google her name natalie's picture comes up and it's the first picture and that kind of disgusts me a little bit like nothing against natalie at all like obviously it's a very tragic case but like and especially since her family was so well known but in peru but like yeah so like maybe like if maybe if you googled her in peru she would come up but like i still think googling her and her, the first picture should be her you know what i mean like i know that she's connected to this case but because that cause of death if she if she would have died here they probably could have got a really close call, time of death with an autopsy and yeah and then, well, i didn't talk about I mean, i'm sure they did an autopsy but they didn't talk about it in any of the articles I don't know, the Peru media. Well, you know they're different. They found him, yeah. He would eventually admit to the murder, but of course he recanted it. He's really good at that. Yeah. And try to say that it was forced, but this time with the physical evidence that they had. And what was interesting about the physical evidence? You had just mentioned something a while ago. It's funny, because I didn't even notice that until I'm saying all of this out loud. But I don't know if he was like, I don't think he, I don't know if he actively played tennis throughout all of his entire life, but like he was a tennis player in high school and like a good one. And like that was noted that he was a honor student and tennis player. Again, I don't believe it was. <laughs> he was known to like target tourists too. Like the fact that he found Natalie at that casino, like he, he met her, I didn't really say this, but he met her at the Holiday Inn's casino the night that they went to the club. So like, which isn't that common. Like you're gonna meet somebody at a casino, go out some that night. It's not common at all. But I'll bet you, bet you he did some recon before he ever met her. He targeted her, which means he scouted her. I mean, I don't know if it's too hard when there's a group of 120 high schoolers. No, I'm not. No, it wouldn't be hard. But I, I would think that he did some scouting. He he targeted her, did some recon. He didn't meet her by accident. Okay, when he met her. That's who exactly he went. That's what he he went to meet. That that was his agenda. Stephanie was found fully clothed and not sexually assaulted, leaving police to wonder what the motive was. Joran told Peruvian police that he and Stephanie had been playing poker in his room when a message regarding Natalie Holloway popped up on his computer. Stephanie became upset after she saw this message and struck him. Apparently. Joran said that he hit her back with his elbow and grabbed her throat and hit her head against a wall. Did he say this was in his room? Mm-hmm. I thought they came out of came out of her room. No. Okay. Right. He told another version of the story where he was reading a story about Natalie on his computer, where she was reading a story about Natalie on his computer, and I guess he she became upset about it that way, but. The Natalie Holloway story was definitely a a part of the story. Because it causes significant name recognition. A quote from Joran, I didn't want to do it. The girl intruded in my life. Um, no, no. You invited her to your room. That's what happened. And it's not her fault that you have Natalie Holloway skeletons in your closet. It's not. It's not her fault that he he recognized the name That's and the right. accusations. A quote from her brother: "My sister is very friendly, always smiling, always nice to everyone. I think about how she felt with him that you probably did not think, and it is so hard to think about that. It is noted that all of her money was taken, and that could have been a lot considering her winnings from a few nights before." 
Joran is currently serving a 28-year sentence for the murder of Stephanie Flores Ramirez and will likely be extradited to the United States to face extortion charges upon his release for that $25,000. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Beth Holloway would go face-to-face with Joran while he was serving his sentence that year. A quote. I think... Once I visited Joran in prison and was able to walk away from there, it was almost a freeing experience for me to know that it was time now. Joran was in prison and this is what I had worked so hard for for five years. This is what I wanted in 2005. I I didn't expect the empowerment that I would feel when I stood up from him and left him in prison. I almost saw him as this pathetic person, so I didn't feel any hate. I saw him as so pathetic. Go, Beth. The fa- like, flying out there and facing him. That's, oh, that's a what, cathartic experience. You know, everybody knows. It's like some of the, you know, some of the things that you talked about in your other case, everybody knows they just can't prove that they did it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, her facing him, and especially a mom, you can't hide anything from them. Mm. You know. She had. She wanted to see him face him, and see in his eyes that uh, no remorse. He innocence in his eyes. Now, he reminds me of a guy that just talks all the time, brags, lies, so you can't believe him. So, ooh. so he's going to be in for a long time. In January of 2012, Natalie Holloway was declared legally deceased at the request of her father. Beth was not in favor of this decision, but Dave started a petition to back him. And since being in prison, Joran has gotten married and had a kid and had a kid and had a kid. So that's fucking fabulous. They gave him what's it called? Conjugal visits. Conjugal visits. I was going to say commissary, but that's... (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, he's procreating. So there has been so much that has happened since 2012. There have been multiple times where the family and investigators have felt like they were right about to solve Natalie's case and were left empty-handed. In 2017, a new, very strange tip, if you will, emerged. A documentary was being made about Natalie's case, and a man named John Christopher Ludwig made a confession. He reports that he was given $1,500 to help dig Natalie up after Joran had buried her on the beach. And he was further instructed to, trigger warning, quote, crush up and burn the remains to the point where it was not recognizable as bones or skulls or anything like that, end quote. He was never made an official suspect after this confession. However, in 2018, he was stabbed to death by a woman who was found to be acting in self-defense. This woman was an ex-girlfriend of his and apparently had numerous issues with him in the past. She was found by a court to be acting in self-defense, but there wasn't really much else to. But did they use, could they use that confet, couldn't use it? He was never a suspect, like nothing seemed like it came from that at all. He didn't give him any location of where This may have occurred. As I was finishing up my research, I noticed there was a few new articles being published the same day as I was looking stuff up. These articles were touching on tips that were coming from an American journalist, and an extensive investigation concluded that these tips were not accurate. 
However, this, there is evidence that this journalist may have been misled from individuals in South America who were feeding her false tips. One of these tips was a postal package from Colombia with shoes and clothes that were supposed to be Natalie's, however there was no DNA from her or Joran on the clothes. She also received photos and videos that were digitally manipulated. And this is just the most recent update in her case. Any idea about who was doing this? Um, not in South America. Like They have the journalist's name, but I don't think she was very... I don't think she's necessarily in trouble. I think she was being misled to, is what it seemed like. Because it, it said that in 2022, last year, she started coming out with these tips, and they just now determined. Like, they're just now coming out and being like, we determined this is not true. And she's being misled. Like, literally, like, February 6th was when the articles came out. It doesn't seem like Joran will be charged with her murder, with Natalie's murder, unless they find a body. But maybe the extortion charges will put him away for life. He will be in his late 40s, early 50s when he gets out the first time. This case is especially sad because it took this man murdering a woman for him to be formally charged with another woman's disappearance. Can get some closure in that he is in prison and he's still facing more charges. So it's not like some of the other people who may have gotten scot-free without anything were still out there. He's at least spending some time in prison. But not for what you did to Natalie. No. What he did to Stephanie. Yeah, but you know... Sometimes you've got to take a win. Well, he's in prison. Being in prison in Peru, I think, is a little bit different than being in prison here. While we don't know if he killed her, it is clear that he is lying and definitely knows something about what happened to Natalie. To the friends and families of Stephanie, I am so sorry to hear that this monster took, took your loved one away from you so soon. And I know that she was your queen and you treated her as such. And to the family of Natalie, I hope with the continued efforts, more can be found, and Joran will formally be charged with more than just extortion. When was she murdered? Or when was she disappeared? Sorry, disappeared? Both of them took place on May 30th. First one? 2005, second one, 2010. So it's been almost 18 years. Yeah, and if I, I just, I get the feeling that part, one of those two stories about them even burying him burying I think her. the story about her destroying the bones I think that clearly I, I think that's I think that's a lot of weight if that happened because if you can't find her and there's been fighter jets looking if if he did it right way kind of thing he scattered them all over the place you'll never find them you know especially tropical island a lot of rain you know in the season a lot of rain a lot of things go away but some justice they receive some justice. It's good that he's in prison. Hopefully he stays there for the rest of his life. Clearly he has no self-control and is just going to murder women as much as he wants. And I would like to know if he is charged and convicted of extortion. Because if it's in the United States, he's in trouble. Oh, he's in trouble. Yeah. He's in trouble. But I don't know. He was like... I don't know, because that's a little different. It's not like he's a child killer, because he was younger than Natalie. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's still bad, it's still awful, but it's not like he is that targeted, like, population in prison, because he was 17 when it would have happened. Right. I, I've i never been in a, in prison, so I don't know. But well, yeah, I, I think you were in prison quite frequently. Yeah. 
never on the other side of the bars. I don't know if I would want to be somebody like that who's who doesn't live here, never lived here, you know, did something in their country and they're going to have to come back. I think it frames it a little differently. In the big, you know, I've seen some guys... He wasn't from Aruba, but he lived there for a long time. He moved there at a young age. Where he's from, but I don't care. I think I think he'll have a an interesting interesting stay. And where did she, where did she? Live? I can't imagine. Where's she from? Where's she? From? Well, Alabama. Extortion. I'm guessing extortion is a federal charge, so he'll probably go to federal prison as opposed to a, a state prison. I just can't imagine it would be that much time he would serve for extortion. Put it this way: I don't think any jury is going to look at it kindly. And I don't think the judge is, judge is going to give the maximum sentence allowed. I don't know what that is, but I think the one thing that you that they may look at is the whole picture: extortion of your I daughter, mean, family who disappeared. Mm -hmm. And you know, it, at your hands, most it's likely. not like somebody holds dirt on you and then extorting you for money because you, you're Nutella family and, and your life's going to be over. Yeah, no, that's yeah. a little dirtier. That's that's sick. Yeah, that's real thick. And I just wish that Stephanie's case had more coverage, too. Stephanie Flores Ramirez? I don't know if you... Is this the person... I re just remember this. When you started to talk about this, I remember them talking about somebody who disappeared off some island. And I don't know if it was her, but I remember she just disappeared. And I, it was somewhere... In the south, you know, or south in the island somewhere. In this case, just reminded me of something I had heard. Um, that, and that it might be this one because I don't remember names or anything. This is a very, very, very famous case. Then it might, it's probably her. Yeah, it's probably her. I just remember that they, she just disappeared. Yeah, it's probably her because it was an island. It was the Caribbean or, you know. And, the fact, and like Amy Lynn Bradley, like the case connected it to this one because it was like creepy that the same bar, restaurant, nightclub. Oh, yeah. See, that's not, that's not a mistake. That's but a, I don't that's a hunting ground. Mm. That's what it is. He knows the place. That's his territory. That's like when hunters hunt deer and stuff. They go to a place, they know the area. They know the population. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, know your, master your surroundings. Mm -hmm. Well, they've already mastered Well, that is all that I really have for this case. It seems like there's going to be updates. There's an update as I was researching it, so hopefully there will be more. If he comes... If he fucking confesses, like, well, what, what, well, well, he, the only thing that can happen is them finding it. Well, finding, he can't confess because they already confessed and he recanted and you can't prove anything and you know he's telling the truth, but he tells so many lies. You know, he probably he has his own little code. Like if you take the first letter of the third word and you put all these sentences together, there's the truth kind of thing. But if he comes into the states and gets tried for extortion, cycle starts again. Everything's going to be brought up for the whole thing. So even more people, and he's in the United States, and if you more people getting concerned about it. More people are going to hear about it. The media is going to be all over it because they'll all have access to it. The media is all already and, all and over it'll be case. it'll be it'll be the case that you'll hear about. It'll be everywhere, and all the details will come in even more. And then that's why I do one what you do. The more people hear about it, the more people know and pay attention because they you know 
they're going to sensationalize a little bit, which it should. I mean, that's a big deal. But people really, it's going to capture their interest mm -hmm. because there's so much more. You know, this the, when you heard the one in the United States with her disappearing, I don't know how I'd ever heard of that. I never heard about the lady in Peru. So now you you have this guy in Peru here. He's coming for extortion. That's a big story. That people be real interested in it, yeah. and they'll they'll hate his guts because they'll know what they never had before is an idea. Now they have a face and a name. Now they have something to hate. This let's just hope they have evidence to put him away. That is really apparently what is very key in this situation. It's key in everyone, everyone that you listen. It's it's everybody you know, and the police know they just can't prove it. And they can, there's nothing they can do about it because they can't prove it, and they know. Sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's skill. Sometimes it's both. Well, let me know what you think. I gave a little hint to this case and I didn't add one of my podcast buddies true crime bnb beth and bailey shout out to you guys they said they didn't really pick up on the hint so <laughs> let's see if anybody else was like oh yeah this is exactly the case i was expecting but let me know what you think let me know if you feel that it will be solved if there will be anything found or you think that he will probably just face the extortion charges you can let me know by getting in touch with me on my Instagram, which is at podcastnau. That is at podcastnau, or my TikTok, or Facebook. Just look up Not Adding Up for that. On my TikTok, I got over 10,000 likes, so that is a little bit of a milestone, and I'm almost at 3,500 followers, so thank you guys nice. for all of that. All the love on TikTok. I feel like a lot of my TikTok followers don't follow me. I mean, don't listen to my podcast, though. But I'll have them on both. It's fine. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Dad. I always, I almost did this with Gwen. I almost didn't thank her. But thank you for coming back on another episode. Oh, it's a pleasure. There's Enjoy really this. not much room for theory in this one. Like, no, no. It's it's it's, it's semi-cut semi and dry. Yeah, it's almost a solve with a grain of salt. Right. But it's not because right. we don't have it. it. Yeah, it's that piece, that little piece that you're missing that you may never get. Mm -hmm. You may never get. But interesting because of all the twists and turns and the characters and you know the the things that are still out there. Mm -hmm. My next week case, little sneak peek, is going to be another American tourist who took a vacation to a exotic location. And never came home. Don't tell me. Let me guess. It's a woman. It is a woman. Lucky guess. So stay tuned for that one. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's case. I hope you are having a great morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever it is you are tuning in to this week's episode. And I hope you all tune in again next Saturday. Do you have a question? And thank you, Patrick. Oh, yes. Thank, thank you. you. Yes, of course. And I hope you all tune in again next Saturday for another case that just does not add up unless it adds up perfectly and you just don't have the hard evidence to put Joran's ass in prison.